This episode of Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen is not intended as a substitute for seeing your own mental health provider. We are here to initiate conversations about sex. Let's keep the conversations going. You can find us on Twitter at TalkingSexPod or email us at TalkingSexPodcasts at gmail.com. We also want to give special thanks to Nathan Diffie for our podcast cover art and our wonderful editor, Julia W.D. Harrison. Lynn Ponton and I, Jennifer Wong, are the executive producers. Yo. There's certain things that I can talk to you about that I can't really with my dad. I don't think we should talk about this. Hi, I'm Jen. This is this week's Spotlight on Sex, and I'm here with Lynn today. Good morning, Jen. (laughs) Hi. And today we're going to be talking about fathers and their role in their children's sexuality. Particularly, I think, you know, here in the U.S., Father's Day just passed. And so it really brought up a lot of the ideas around fatherhood, what it means to be a father and what the father's role is. And uh, just a few days before Father's Day, uh, David Brooks ran an article in the New York Times that was very moving and and entitled, Why uh, Fathers Leave Their Children. And uh, I think that's a a big part of it, that many people in the world don't have a lot of contact with their fathers. Estimates are that a third to half of all fathers are really very distant from children, even grown children. And really the uh, ramifications of this are huge. Does that include fathers that are present but sort of emotionally absent? Um, no, probably not, Jen. Because that's what I was going to so say. The number is probably higher. To consider, and uh, the the underlying theme of the Brooks article was really how can fathers become closer to children in all ways? First, being present in their life at all, and next, being emotionally present. I think what was powerful about the article, too, is that it really tries to take a more compassionate look at these absent fathers and not necessarily excusing that they are absent, but really saying, okay, well, what's going on here? Is it because they just abandon their children? Often there's a lot of other factors that come into play. Well, the the factor that stood out to me and from my decades of working with fathers to help them parent, uh, I, I think what I've seen that's most important is the cultures worldwide don't really allow fathers to have a very active part in co-parenting. And uh, if the relationship falls apart between the mother and the father early in the child's life or even later, then there really isn't a rapport and a joint parenting program in place. So if we're thinking about what could be changed, and David Brooks was kind of asking about this, it's really how can we help fathers be reintegrated? And he felt that the biggest difference would be in making parent relationships, mother-father relationships, better and stronger. And I agree with that a lot. I do think that kids who have parents that are able to at the very least, be civil with each other. They have a much easier time because then they don't have to absorb those stresses of of their parents. Because I think in divorce situations or separations, a lot of that gets passed down to the children. You know, that's been my experience with kids I've worked with, that the child will feel, if I love the other parent, 
then I'm betraying this parent. Yeah. And so it becomes one of taking sides, even unconsciously. And a child might, might say, well, my dad did all these things, really. You know, and uh, it is true that dads have, uh, you know, there's really a litany of things that dads do in response to being excluded and driven away and not included in relationships. One of the thoughts I've always had about this, Jennifer, is we need more co-parenting classes in high school and not necessarily even focused on mother and father, but on how do people co-parent children together and work as a team. And I think that would take away you know, at least it would allow some education, it would discuss the pitfalls, you know, it would encourage really people working together, even though they're not in an intimate partnership to parent children. I think also the idea of introducing it early is really important, because it is a skill, which means it's something that is cultivated. And some people have more of a healthy model at home, There are plenty of people who don't. And to just say, well, then that's too bad for you. Obviously, that's not Mm -hmm. the way we look at it and the way we think. And so I think schools can do their part to help step in and and provide that modeling for kids who don't have that at home. And this could be combined with even maybe babysitting classes for boys and girls where you'd practice with kids parenting, learning parenting skills through babysitting and other things. I think it might even affect the abuse numbers, which are high. You know, so so it would be a very effective tool to really address some of these things and bring men and boys back into the picture. Well, I think we're finally starting as a society or to see that the role fathers play in terms of a child's emotional, social, sexual development is very important. I mean, the numbers show that particularly for daughters, um, girls, that is, that have absent fathers, they're more likely to have an earlier sexual debut and they're more likely to engage in risky sexual behaviors. And fathers are also very important in helping daughters look out to the world. You know, you and I've talked about our dads. And one of the roles they played was really encouraging us to get out there, have careers, be involved. Dads can be very, very promoting of those things and those skills, really, for daughters and for sons. And to have that support network, I think, is so helpful. Yeah, No, it's a very, very important part of it. I've been working with a a case, and I'm not going to talk about it in great depth, but uh, it's a girl about seven years old. The parents were very alienated. But uh, as her dad's reentered her life, we've been able to bring the parents back together and get the dad involved. The little girl is really changed. You know, she's able to talk about things that she really wasn't able to talk about before, kind of the men's world. She enjoys the things she does with her dad. And she's more of a person, really, because her dad is in her life. Well, she feels more whole. I mean, I think a lot of people maybe understand this on an intuitive level, but not so much are, you know, clearly aware of it. But children of that age, they really see themselves as a combination of their parents. And so when one parent is missing, they often feel like a piece of them is missing, and that can be hard to reconcile. 
That's a very beautiful way to talk about it. It's painful and yet beautiful. But many of the kids I work with, yeah. with the missing parents, you know, really feel that way. I have a lot of drawings you know. from kids who have drawn pictures of, you know, this is them, here's my dad's side, here's my mom's side, and they feel split in half or in pieces or a chunk of their face is missing because they just see, you know, there's a piece of me that is not here. Yeah. It gets brings us back to this whole subject of Father's Day. Father's Day is a day when kids are supposed to see their father at least one year day a right, year, right? And you know that is important to have. But really, we're interested, you and I, in bringing fathers back into the emotional and sexual and really physical lives of children. And I think even the idea that one of the big things I see in working with more fathers, I see more fathers coming in to therapy with their kids or bringing their, bringing their child to therapy. And I think that's so powerful. What I see too is that still as a society, we, we cling pretty rigidly to this idea that mothers are the more emotionally engaged and warm and responsive parents. And sometimes in the families I'm working with, that's not the case. And I think it's important to acknowledge that that isn't just a, you know, sexual characteristic of men and women, or that's a gendered word, of males and females. But that really, it's it's a personality trait, but it's also cultivated. What's that look like in with the dads that are changing? What are the different dads who are, you know, really emotionally present in a different way? What do they what do they look like to you? They're more able to validate their children. Mm -hmm. I see that their children want to spend more time with them. I think the they become another go-to parent where a lot of times kids hold this idea that mom is the default parent to go to. And so I think they're fathers feel more engaged. And the truth is, while having an engaged father is really important for the child, the father's happiness is also very much related to their closeness in the relationship. Because in general, when you have a healthy, close relationship with your child, that brings you a lot of joy as well. That's one of the things I see with the dads who are cut out, that they really are very depressed about it. They yes. feel like half a person yes. without that involvement with their kids. One of the other areas I think we should talk about, Jen, are the mother-father dynamics and mm -hmm. when they're not going well. And there's a concept out there that our listeners might not know about, but it's kind of known as the mother as gatekeeper to right. the father. and. You know, this is in early childhood relationships. The mother can act in this role. She often can team up with her mother or another maternal figure. And this is a strength in some ways. It helps the mother learn how to be a mother. Yeah. I've just been through this with my own daughter. I'm in the grandmother role and I'm working on the, this whole thing. It's really also, I think, about how do we integrate fathers at that point? Because there's a strong mother-mother bond taking place. You know, how can the father be brought into that? And I've thought in my new role, how I as a grandmother could integrate with my son-in-law, support his fathering, mm -hmm. you know, and a big part of my job, you know, is that area. But I've seen very, very little, you know, spoken or written about that. But it's a really interesting area. Well, I think it is an interesting area. And I think what's powerful about the concept of the gatekeeper is I think sometimes people focus on the negative side of it. 
but the gatekeeping is really about how much you let in or don't let in. And so I think it's about being able to decide and, and have conversations and figure out how can everyone support, how can we come together, as you were talking about starting even in schools and younger. But really, it does take a village. And so it's how do you help everyone define a role for themselves? And how do you help everyone feel like they are part of a support team? Yeah. And building that team together and not having it be along gender lines necessarily. Right. You know, I, I think that's one of the confusions with this is that there's so much gender warring really going on and defined gender roles really let, you know, exclude people. Well, I think an example of that in maternal gatekeeping is, for example, you know, maybe there's a father who did not have as much of a positive role role model in a mother and they may want to participate in the child rearing but they don't have that model and so sometimes mothers will say well you don't know what you're doing I'm going to do it you know and, mm -hmm. and just kind of take over and that ends up excluding the father and so I think there are a lot of little versions of, of how this happens. I think for a while there were a lot of articles being written about how fathers don't babysit their children because you're not a babysitter. You're the father, <laughs> you're you know, the but father, I think exactly. it, it pointed out that there's this really important distinction between what's expected of mothers and what's expected of fathers. And I think instead of just lowering expectations on mothering. It's like, how do you bring everyone up? How do you expand that so that fathers have a very important role as well? Because they do. And brings us back to parenting. How do we really expand everyone's skills in this area? The grandmother, grandfather, and also the, the parents, the primary parents in that particular role. It's really, really important. One of the other factors that comes up, it's alluded to in David Brooks's article, are the financial aspects. And oh, yeah. if parents aren't living together, and it's even less likely they'll co-parent, and the finances are often brought up as a reason. Mm -hmm. The mother often has the primary custody, and she says, I'm not getting any financial support. My life is all work. I don't really want you know, the dad involved if he's not going to you know, right. put in some financial work. And I've worked with a lot of parents around those very fragmented situations and it's tough. I think it is very tough. And I think it goes back again to this expectation that in a way there's a little bit of gatekeeping there too, because it's like, well, if you're not providing financially, then you don't get to spend time with your child. And those are not the same thing, obviously. You know, I, I think... Obviously, there needs to be some way for the family to be financially supported. That's one of the huge um, influences in, in stability in a person's life. At the same time, the idea that, you know, maybe the father is trying, but in order to have those finances, he's working all the time. And so being able to cultivate flexibility, I guess, is is what comes up for me when I'm working with those parents and those families is really how do you help people understand that while that's an important role you also need to be cultivating the closeness and it's really about both providing financial support 
and time and emotional support. Right. And it's important for dads to have the opportunity for the time and the emotional support. Um, One of the ways I've worked uh, with it with families that are more fragmented is really to suggest that the dad can you know, be with the the child and take care of the child at times where the mother's off in the world and doing other things. Yeah. And I think a lot of moms, even if they're not with the father, they, they relish the time. They're going to have time to do these things, explore their own interests, really maybe be involved in financial endeavors themselves. I think that type of sharing is really most effective. Well, that's the model for healthy co-parenting, right? Yes, I think exactly. the biggest barrier there is there's so much anger a lot of times on both sides. So it's really, how do you place your child's needs first? How do you take care of your own needs so that you can be more present for your child? And I think that is a big role. I actually am working with a lot of fathers where they have primary custody of their children and the mothers are constantly trying to take that custody away and they're constantly in courts. And I think it's very interesting that, that some of this has shifted at least in, in the clientele that I'm working with. But I think it, it is positive in the sense that fathers are being recognized as, as important figures. But I also think there's a combative power struggle there. And instead, it's really looking at, like, how can we move to more of a healthy co-parenting? I, I will say that at these difficult points, the the situation you're describing, therapy is invaluable. So if a, a you know, mother or father or even a child out there is listening and they're thinking, what could be done in my situation? That is a time when therapy with a focus on Mm co-parenting and conflict resolution and decreasing, you know, aggression and trauma, it's really, really important. And it makes a huge difference. And I've seen situations that I did not think would resolve after a year or two of, of, of therapy and counseling really, really come around. It takes a long time because there's so much wrapped up in it. I think there's some of the stigmas around being a good parent and what it means to be a good parent and who is succeeding and failing. I think also there's a lot of pressure to to have it all sorted out and it really takes time. And so I think there's there's this pressure like, well, we need to co-parent right away, but you haven't dealt with the anger. You haven't dealt with feelings of betrayal. You haven't dealt with your beliefs about how parents should be and what the role of the father is and what the role of the mother is. And so therapy is very helpful because you slow that down in a way, but in a helpful way where you're peeling it back so that you set up a stronger foundation for the future. And that's why getting the treatment early you know, let's say you've had the baby. Yeah. You know, the parents are not living together. They'd like to work out a co-parenting plan. You know, that's a very, very good time to get the treatment and work on some of those feelings, the betrayal, the anger. You know, not everybody who has a child together has to live together. Right. You know, it's not so much about betrayal, but about making it a team and making it work together. And I think grandparents, now that I'm one, are often, they can be advocates and work with that system, or they can alienate the other parent and cut them off. And I I think you really have to look at what your role is going to be there. I think there's a lot of beliefs that that are in play that can either help or hinder the process. And to bring it kind of full circle, I think we really have to look 
again at this idea of like why is it that that when fathers are absent they're just sort of dismissed as being you know uninvolved and sort of not caring and just callous I guess is the word that comes to mind when really in my experience a lot of those fathers are in a lot of pain they often maybe are depressed themselves they're struggling with a lot of different factors and they feel very isolated and they they don't have support and so I think what we can do is really figure out as a society and as individuals, how do we help support fathers so that they can support their daughters and sons, so that they can support mothers and support themselves? And just coincident with this, we have to figure out better support for parenting in general, because we all know that in this country, there really isn't supportive daycare for parents. There isn't supportive paternity leave and maternity leave. You know, I, I was just talking to a young group of women doctors, and uh, the maternity leave max for most women doctors is under two months mm-hmm. uh, in this country. And the job is tough. You go back to it. It's a hard one. And this is many, many places. And, and many moms don't even have that option. So moms and dads have to be encouraged to have that time at home with their child to resolve some of these issues we're really talking about. I think too, because of the way the the maternity paternity leave system works, I think a lot of times couples dole it out so that, you know, mom's home for one period and dad's home for another period. And I think there really needs to be some period where parents are there together because while it may not be able to be a long time, I think being able to work together towards that helps you feel like you're part of the same team working towards the same goal and you get to work side by side instead of um, it having to be so segmented. Shifts, Shifts, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, the shift concept. I agree with you completely. You also see how much your child loves that other person when you're right there and you see how important it is for your child to really be with that other person and that you can only see that visually you know when their face lights up and the joy that they get and you think about would I cut this off really for my child or for that other person yeah yeah well Jen uh, this is a wonderful spotlight around Father's Day and uh, gives us a chance to look at what could be changed really with individuals and within our culture And uh, thank you for suggesting we talk about this. Yeah, and I hope as our listener that it gives you something to talk about. Come on, let's talk about sex.